I can't tell you how happy I am to be here. I, I feel like I'm come, come home. Like, I'm, like, like, like it's, I, I, knew, I knew this was going to be a great day. Um, it's, how come we've never met? Like, where, where, where have you been? Where have I been? I don't, I don't know. But um, we, uh, we, like, I feel like I know your pastor because we have been on Zoom together for um, a couple of years with Richard Roberts, who leads the Oral Roberts Evangelistic Association. And, uh, um, uh, but I don't know about you. I'm tired of Zoom. I just like, I like touching people. I, uh, so I, I, I'm glad that we can do this and be here. And, and I, I can't tell you how encouraging personally it is to be here in, um, you know, the Toronto area, Mississauga. I mean, it really is like coming home. I was brought up in Brampton. Some of you may have heard of Brampton. And um, <laughs> I, I said uh, once I was sharing my testimony with and my wife and I were doing it. And I said, I was a good Baptist boy. She said, no, you weren't. You were a, you were a Baptist boy. <laughs> so because we've been married this summer 58 years. So she kind of, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so she, she deserves something. <laughs> and uh, I give her breaks by coming away, you know, <laughs> and, uh, um, and, and, um, uh, uh, at Kennedy Road Tabernacle in Brampton, that's where I really I met Jesus. I've been in church all my life, but it's uh, it's much better to know Him. <laughs> and then I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit there. I met my wife there. We got married there. I mean, it's just um, so a lot of a lot of very precious things this area. But years ago, um, as you see, you know, if you told me that um, our ministry was going to be uh, heavily involved in missions, uh, I would have loved that because every missionary that came through our church showed pictures of palm trees and huts and beaches. And, and, and I, I like that, you know, because people say to me, oh, God wouldn't call me north. I don't, I don't like the cold. Yeah, like, like we go there for the weather. <laughs> Like, like uh, we, we just got back from Baffin Island, uh, where it's spring up there. Uh, we were in our parkas because we think it feels like winter uh, because it's still really cold and lots of snow. But they, it's spring in their calendar. And uh, but um, uh, so we went. I don't know what happened. My, somebody asked my wife years ago, why does he go north? Um, you know, in the winter time and and. Uh, uh, she said, well, he's either really spiritual or really stupid. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't, there's sometimes you just leave things, you know, you don't, you don't ask. And, uh, but um, almost 50 years ago, I fell in love with the people of the North. And uh, when you fall in love, you're ruined. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you just want to keep going, doing, you want to be with them. So, um, it's been a while since I've been personally in the north. We've been having teams go in. So uh, I went back uh, to a place called Cape Dorset, where we built the first uh, church building there um, uh, in 1978, I believe it was. And had, had we had meetings in, uh, uh, there's two churches there that, that um, are really flowing in God and had meetings in both of them. But I had meetings in the building that we built um, you know, 1978, before any of you were born, and, uh, and they're still there, and the same pastor's still there. Uh, he's, um, he's old, but, uh, <laughs> and he, he, wants, he wants help, but um, um, I, I just, uh, I, it, was, oh, it was so good, it was so good, and to see, see God touching lives in the north. We've, we've got some good reports for you today that you, you're not really hearing on the uh, CTV or CB New, CBC News. But uh, years ago, when I started going north, uh, it seemed like nobody really understood, uh, you know, why? Why are you doing this? Because we were having, you know, big meetings across Canada and we're on television and whatnot and, and now going to you know, isolated places where there's not that many people. And um, I got a call. Uh, this is why this is so encouraging. That's why I'm telling you this. I got a call from a pastor here in Toronto who uh, said, a group of us pastors would like to meet with you. 
and talk to you about your work in the North. I thought, well, this is so good because we were really alone. And, and you know, the North is very expensive. You can fly, anytime you fly North, you can go anywhere in the world. Cheaper, much cheaper than you, you go North. And uh, so um, that's why a lot of people don't do it. And it's the weather and it's the food and it's, uh, it's the expense. But so I, I came and I met with them. And they asked a bunch of questions. How much does it cost you to fly up there? And I told them. How much does it cost to build a building? Well, to build a building in the Arctic, there are no trees. There's no material. So you buy the material in Montreal, put it on a boat, and ship it up. So it normally costs as much to ship as it does to buy the material, you know? And then you got to have people up there doing it. So um, um, how much of this? And, and I thought, this is so encouraging. And then the one guy said, how dare you? I said, what? How dare you? spend so much money on so few people. He said, you could take that same amount of money and spend it here in Toronto and reach thousands, if not millions. And I found that very offensive. And I said to them, because I knew the meeting was over. (laughs) 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 And I knew that we weren't going to be walking together. I said, so um, you're saying let them go to hell? And they said, oh, no, no, no. I said, yes, you are. And I said, you do whatever you want to do, but we're not. We're going to do everything we can. Because, you see, it was 50 years ago that I had a vision of Canada and revival. I, you know, everything was fine in our life. We had pastoring this little church. Uh, we had four little kids. Um, our youngest was one year old. Our oldest was just started kindergarten. We had four preschoolers. And uh, uh, somebody said, well, you know, I couldn't travel because we have young kids. I said, why do you think I started traveling? <laughs> but that's a, that's a joke. <laughs> and uh, I hope my wife isn't watching, but <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, uh, and, and then I ended up going with a group to Pittsburgh to a Catherine Kuhlman service, and uh, my life was changed forever. I'll be sharing some of that tonight, um, what really happened to me and the key to really ministry. But um, um, came back, and revival broke out in the Ottawa Valley. I mean, it was, it was, it was revival. Uh, you know, people were coming. We had more people coming to our little town than lived there every week. Uh, and they were getting healed and touched. And, and right at the beginning of that, because it was overwhelming for us, you know, both my wife and I were 27 years of age. And uh, um, we, we felt we weren't prepared for this. And, and uh, again, you know, God was doing what we'd always believed he was doing. But it was interesting. My, one of my friends in the nearest uh, Pentecostal church to us was saying from his pulpit, don't go to those meetings. It's not God, it's the devil. That's what my friends were saying. So <laughs> I didn't want to, but people were coming and, and the Catholics were coming. And oh, Pentecostals didn't like that. <laughs> but they weren't asking permission. And, uh, but in the midst of it, God gave me a vision of Canada in revival. I mean, it was so clear. It was so, re- I saw it. The entire nation, just on fire for God. I, I saw millions being swept into the kingdom of God. I, I, I saw a thousand young people on the streets of Ottawa doing the works of God. Uh, Jacob, who is my personal assistant, travels with me uh, and takes care of absolutely everything for me. He'll be sharing a little bit tonight because I don't know if you heard or not. A little while ago, there was a few trucks that came to Ottawa. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. I wasn't sure whether you'd heard or not. Now there's, there's hundreds of bikers. Yeah, really, arriving in Ottawa this coming week. Um, anyway, um, but, but what the news didn't tell you is that, um, you know, at times they feel the media felt there were a million or more people downtown Ottawa. Um, so... Uh, Jacob 
his wife and a lot of his friends and young ministries that we are very connected with all thought this is a great opportunity. And they all went. And, um, you know, I saw a thousand young people on the streets doing it. I don't know how many there were. There were certainly several hundred on the streets during the, the convoy, um, not protesting, not doing, you know, just reaching people. And they were, they were sending me, FaceTiming me with people that just got saved, just got healed. I mean, truckers were getting saved and being baptized in water. I mean, I mean, thousands of people were hearing the gospel. They had stages set up and sound systems. They're preaching the gospel and doing worship. And on the streets of Ottawa, it was phenomenal. I better not tell you more because you're going to share it tonight. But, but they were and, and I said to my wife, when I'm watching the videos that they're sending me and then the FaceTime. I said, I've seen this. I've seen it. Like before any of them were born, I saw them doing this. And I got to tell you, it's amazing to have a vision, but it's much more fun to see it realized. And so for 50 years, I've been proclaiming Canada shall be saved because I knew when I saw the vision, that's what God is going to do. And so, you know, when you've seen it, nobody can talk you out of it. Nobody. And, and so I knew, and I knew that I'd, I'd give my life to that. And I knew I'd be alive to see it. So I said, you know, years ago, you know, the clock is ticking here, so I'm going to be alive to see it. Um, my friend Rodney Howard Brown says, after 90, everything starts leaking, so I don't think I want to live <laughs> to, to, to 100. But, but if, if I make 100... That's two zeros. I'm coming. <laughs> I, I'm, I expect something. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, um, so I saw the I saw Parliament coming to a halt because of what God was doing. And interesting, during the truckers' convoy, Parliament came to a halt, and um, there was a real shakeup particularly in the conservative government, but in the whole government. I mean, it's, I love it. Everything that's being shaken is being shaken. And, uh, and I, I tell you, you know, I, um, I've had the opportunity to, um, uh, to speak and meet with our uh, prime minister on a few occasions. And uh, uh, we pray for him, pray for his wife. Uh, but you might be surprised that I don't really agree with hardly anything that he, he says or any policies other than one thing. And he's made it very clear. We people, the, particularly the charismatic Pentecostal people, are radical, extreme, and dangerous. <laughs> We are because we're going to fill heaven and keep people. Because what's about to happen, it started, because I've stopped saying Canada shall be saved. During the convoy, I said, I can't say it anymore. Canada is being saved. There's never been a time like this. This is harvest time right now. What I saw in the Arctic uh, what I saw, the hunger of the people, the young people. And, and we've got the only answer to stop suicide in the North. We've got the only answer to see entire communities transformed. And I'm here to tell you, because the, the question I had during COVID, I don't know, you probably didn't hear of COVID, but, uh, but we, we did in Ottawa. It was this thing, whatever. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Did you have COVID? <laughs> well, I didn't until we go to the Arctic. And the people in the north are so giving. They, they gave Jacob and Travis, the two young men with me, they gave them lovely stone Inuit carvings. And they gave me COVID. <laughs> well, well think, think, I understand. What do you give the guy who's got everything? You know, you know. <laughs> They, they've given me so many carvings and things. I've got a whole room full of them. So, um, so, I, um, so I came home and um, I had two days, really nasty days, you know. And then I thought, 
I don't like this. So I sent it back to hell. By the way, we do have some resources. I wasn't planning on talking about, but the book I wrote years ago is called To Hell With Sickness. Because that's where you send it. Because sickness doesn't come from God. Pain doesn't come from what? It comes from the pit of hell. Jesus taught us that. And so that's, that's where it comes from. Because, you know, when people are healed in services and they say, it's just all gone. Where did it go? I guess the Lord took it. Well, what would he do with it? No, no, no. It's going back to hell. So, 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 I, so, so the publisher said when we wrote this book, well, you need to change the title. I said, why? Well, because, uh, you know, there would be people that won't buy it because of the title. I said, well, it's not for them. <laughs> Those people wouldn't buy anything with my name on. So, so, uh, and so then we, Jacob and I in July will be in Sweden, go to Sweden every year, do a healing conference there with a great church there. Um, last two years, been, you know, online, but we're going back. And uh, so a few years ago, they um, said, could we translate your book into Swedish? So I said, yeah, absolutely. So... My wife and I went over there for a conference, and they were releasing the book. And, of course, it's all in Swedish, and I don't read Swedish. So I did notice that instead of flames on the front, they had flowers. <laughs> it looked pretty. <laughs> and so the pastor said, it's, it's a husband and wife that pastor this church, and really lovely people, and she's so sweet. She said, we translated the book exactly as you wrote it. Well... That's what you'd expect, except the title. I said, oh, really? She said, yeah, we, 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 changed, we made a slight change to the title. The title is To Hell With Sickness. I said, well, what does it say? Healing God's Gift. That was the title. They changed it slightly. <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said, wow. I, I said, that's, that's quite a switch. And, and she said, well, you know, because, you know, it would, that would offend some people in, in Sweden. I said, well, offend some people in Canada. Um, so it's not for them. It's for those people who really want to be equipped. So, uh, uh, so I sent it back to hell. And they're um, <laughs> so just doing fine. Uh, but, but this is the best day that's ever been. You know, for years, I thought... When I get to heaven, I really want to spend some time with people like Adam. And, and what was it like? What was it like? Like every day God came down and, and went for a walk with you. Like, tell me about this. How did you feel before he came? And, 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 and how far did you walk? And, and did, who did you talk or he talk or did you just walk? And, and then people like Abraham, a friend of God, who talked to God face to face, and Moses and Enoch, who just didn't stop walking, just <laughs> kept going. And, and I, what was that like? And then, you know, the disciples. Yes. Like, John, you put your head on his chest and you heard his heartbeat. What was that like? And it wasn't, it was just recently that Holy Spirit said, Bill, when you get to heaven, they're gonna be lining up to ask you, what was it like? We were with him, but he was in you. He was in you. He lived 24 seven. It wasn't just one visit once a day. It wasn't just this or that. He, he, you, were, you had this. You had the presence of God all the time. You had all the power of God. We, if the church in Canada could understand who we are and that the greater one is in us. And the first time I got invited to uh, Sweden, a dear friend, Mary Audrey Raycroft, who is you know, one of the been one of the leaders at Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, now Catch the Fire. I had the privilege of preaching there two years, night after night, and uh, being part of that revival. And it, when you're part of revivals, it, it really spoils you for anything less. And uh, so she came to me and she said, she said, there's a church in Sweden. She said, I, I've been going there for years. And she said, you're just, you'd be such a perfect fit. And so I've told them about you and they're going to be inviting you. So I, so I get this invitation, 
And um, she does point out, and I started going that year, and she, they've never invited her back. <laughs> I thank her for Sweden, and she says, well, you know, I don't go there anymore. <laughs> but God used her to connect me. So, so, I'm going, so they invite me to go, and I feel I'm supposed to go. And my team was saying, you can't go because the schedule's full. And I said, but I feel I'm supposed to go. But, you know, we're, we're heavy on commitments. If we've committed to go somewhere, we're going to go. We're not going to break commitments because we've got another invitation. And uh, so I realized that I was busy on the weekends, but during the week, I, could, I said, if you can get me there and I can do, you know, two or three nights during the week and get me back, then we do it. And, and it did that. So I thought, this is really, I feel this is important. So I said to God, like, you're taking me to Sweden. Never been there. They don't know me. I don't know them. You must have really an important word. What, what, what's the word? And God said, tell them I'm big. Well, I waited for more. And there wasn't. And I thought, well, this will be awkward. <laughs> because they fly me across the world to preach their great healing conference. And I get up and say, God's big. <laughs> I, I just pictured them looking at each other. We could have saved some money here. <laughs> like I said, God, I really need more than them. He said, well, tell him the devil's puny. <laughs> well, I got two points now. <laughs> and and, and um, I thought, wow, okay. Uh, I said, but God, like everybody knows you're big. And everybody knows the devil's puny. Like, this isn't a huge revelation. And God said, my people say that I'm big. And they say the devil's puny, but look how they're living. My people are living like they've got a great big devil and a little God. But that's changing. God's raising up a people in our nation who are the head and not the tail. They're above and not beneath. And they're realizing that whatever they bind is bound. Whatever they lose is loose. We just, um, a few weeks ago, we flew into uh, Dallas and we were flying from Florida. So um, uh, the flight was delayed leaving and they said because of weather. And then we're partway to Dallas, uh, you know, up what, 38,000 feet or something. And the pilot says, just got the word, they've closed the Dallas airport. And uh, so we're just gonna stay up here. <laughs> So after, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes, pilot comes on. They just opened the Dallas airport, so we're in line, you know, and it's going to be a while. So then he comes on again. We just got another notice. They've closed the Dallas airport again, so we're just going to stay up here. Well, I figured sooner or later, <laughs> we're, we're going to stop that. <laughs> and uh, we were scheduled to be on Daystar the next morning live, and, and uh, I thought if they land somewhere else, then we're going to be renting a car and driving through the night, which, you know, we've done. But um, anyways, we, we finally arrived. And um, there, I didn't realize that it obviously it had been rain. Uh, but when we, I got to the hotel, I turned on the uh, television, the news, and tornadoes had gone through. And so, you know, Daystar, they were telling us, the staff was telling us about, oh, the sirens are going. We're all in the basement or, you know, we're this and that. And, and um so, so then we, the next day we spent at Kenneth Copeland's ministry. I was ministering to the staff and the, their, their school there and spent the day with them and George and Terry and whatnot. And, and uh, um, so I asked them and Terry, uh, Kenneth's daughter said, um, um, oh yeah, yeah, we were in a meeting and we looked out the window and we, we, saw, it, we saw it coming towards our property. So we just all got up, stood at the window, and yelled at it to get out of here. And it lifted up, and, and, and you know, and you hear things like that. Like I, we were in uh, British Columbia, and my friend Joe Weiss, who is the Canadian director of the Kenneth Copeland 
Canadian ministry, and I have the privilege of serving on their board. Um, um, he was in the meeting. Him and his wife were in the meeting, and I told the story that I think it was Michael Kulianis, uh, Betty Hinn's son-in-law, was meeting with Kenneth and looked at when there's a funnel cloud coming. And so Kenneth said, just a minute, he walked outside, yelled at it, no, no, you don't. Yeah. Don't touch this property. And it went right up. Yeah. Now, people, I'm telling you, people look at you as if you're weird. Yeah. Well, you can't do that. Well, have you read the Bible? Yeah. Whatever you bind is bound. Whatever you loose is loose. And so I said to Joe, I, I said, uh, now, I've, I've heard this story from you know, good sources, but is this true? He said, well, I haven't heard that one. But he said, I heard this one. He said uh, his, Kenneth and his son John were getting one of their little planes just going to go up for a little flight. And there was a funnel, tunnel, uh, a funnel cloud coming right towards him. So he got out of the plane, just stood on the runway and yelled at it. You can't come here. This is God's property. And lift it up. If we could understand that there's a level that we could live on that we put up with so much, if we could understand this, it'd be amazing. So, so people were asking me during COVID. See, I got back to that. <laughs> I, um, is this it? Is this the end? Some of my neighbors, they don't want to talk about anything, you know, about the Bible or God. They say, Bill, you know the Bible. Is this it? Is this the end? And, you know, we could see, my answer is no. No, no, this isn't the end. We can see how close to the end we are. We can see how quickly there can be a world system, an antichrist system, mark of the beast. But this, this isn't it. Because before the end, there's going to be the greatest revival in the history of the world. And some people say, well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Read Joel 2. It shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So whether you believe it or not, doesn't you can't stop. When God says it shall and I will, you can't stop it. You can't stop it. The only decision we have to make is, are we going to be part of it or not? And I see in this hour, God raising up an army across this nation. I see an army of senior citizens being raised up. Because you see, here's the thing. The Bible talks about a chosen generation. It has nothing to do with age. It is something to do with an attitude and a decision. When they get to the promised land, an entire generation said, we don't want to go in. We, what we've got is enough. We're satisfied. But Joshua and Caleb said, we've come too far. We've seen too much. We believe too long. We're not going to go back and die in the wilderness. You know, somebody pointed out a while ago, one of my friends said, most of your friends are young. I hang around with young people. I love the great ministries that God's raising up in Canada of young men and women who are so filled with integrity and want to walk in holiness and they've got such a passion and heart. And I find that, you know, people my age are rather older dead. Like, like uh, seriously, we... We were on a plane, and I look over. Jacob's on his phone doing something. He looks really busy. And I said, what are you doing? Well, he said, well, I realize my contact list is really out of date. He said that a lot of my contacts are people from high school I haven't, you know, been in touch with for years. So I'm just cleaning up my contact list. I thought, well, I, I probably should do that. <laughs> Pastor, you wouldn't believe how many are dead. Seriously, I, I come to one after another after another, and I say, oh, oh, yeah, oh, they're dead. That's why they haven't responded. <laughs> that, that's, <laughs> my goodness. And I felt so bad deleting them. 
but, but I thought, you know, I'm seriously. And, and so, so many of my friends have just decided they're, they're out of here. But here's the thing, seniors, if you're not dead, you're not done. And when you rise up, I feel something. I feel something. When you rise up and you say yes, God's going to give you fresh dreams. Old men and women will dream again. And God's going to renew your youth and give you what you got. You say, what? Well, I feel old. Start just ministering. You give and it's given back to you. It's just like that. So then, you know, I say, well, Canada, I've been saying Canada shall be saved. Now Canada's being saved. And then I, I, I meet these people, you know, that think they're theologians. They don't know the word at all, but they... <laughs> but some of them have said to me, brother, you have to be balanced, which means dry up. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, you know, Jesus said you have to be balanced. He said to religious leaders in his day, you have to be balanced. And to him, being balanced was knowing the scriptures and the power of God. It's not one or the other. If you just have the experience without the word, you're in trouble. You'll go off. But if you just have the scriptures without the experience of how God, then you're going to just be dry. And all you'll have is knowledge up here. But let me tell you something, even today, some of the truths that you have here is going to hit your heart. And when it hits your heart, that's passion and it's vision and it's life again. So God's raising up an army. And they're going to take back what the enemy has stolen. You know, I'm believing God that this morning and tonight, that there's a little uh, surgery happening to every person. It'll be painless and it's free. That you have installed in you what I call an impossible button so that when anybody tells you, oh, that's impossible, they flip the button and you rise up. And you say, oh, no, because here, here's the thing. Yes, sir. Here's the thing. Every one of us, I mean, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be part of this church. You wouldn't be in if you didn't believe that with God, all things are possible. Amen. You wouldn't believe. But every one of us have something, a situation, whether it's with our physical condition, whether it's our finances, whether it's our family, our marriage, our kids, our grandkids, great grandkids, whatever it is or our community, or our nation, that we've just settled and said, well, there's nothing that can be done about that. We've got to stop that. And we've got to let that button be ignited and say, oh, with my God, all things are possible. Years ago, I think seven years ago, I got a message. I was preaching a conference in um, Port Perry, east of here. And um, uh, I got a message early Saturday morning that an 11-year-old boy had committed suicide in Cape Dorset, where I just got back from, where I've been there more than any other communities in the north. 11-year-old boy. I hate suicide. But 11-year-old boy shouldn't even, that shouldn't be, like, it shouldn't even be a thought. And I felt God say, maybe you need to stop preaching what you're preaching. Because for all these years, you've been preaching that there's no limit, that with me, all things are possible. But when it comes to suicide in the north, you've said there's nothing that can be done. The government has put hundreds of millions of dollars to try to stop it. And all they do is educate and it doesn't give them hope. And something rose up in me and said, I will not stop what I'm preaching 
But we've got to do things differently. We've got to change what we're doing. Because God's big enough. If God's as big as we say he is, he's big enough to stop suicide in the north. And we've told many of the government leaders in Nunavut, we are going to see suicide stopped in the north. We had one community, a community called Pangnatung up on Baffin Island, where the district churches of the Pentecost Sons of Canada, all the ladies group, focused on that community and for one year prayed. We had hundreds of women praying for Pangnatung. And in that one year, that one year, there was no suicides. It was unheard of. No suicides. And then the focus changed. And the next year, I think, you know, within a few weeks, there were 30 or 40 attempted suicides. So we can figure this out. So we've started Warriors, Warriors of Hope, where people get updates, you know, every week, sometimes more than once a week, about what to pray for. Right now, we're focusing on Cape Dorset because we can stop this thing Amen. and we can see the nation change. But, but, but these theologians explained to me, well, a nation can't be saved. I said, well, just stick around because right. <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen it. Like, if Canada can't be saved, then why would Jesus tell us to pray the way he told us to pray? He said, every time you pray, pray that the kingdom will come here and the will of God will be done here as it is in heaven. But let me tell you something. If the, if the kingdom comes here to Mississauga and the will of God is done here in Mississauga now... Mississauga will be saved. It'll be Christian. But then I have people say, well, you know what? Um, you can't expect Canada to become Christian because, I mean, we're all these you know, different religions now and all these faiths. <laughs> it's a setup. I mean, many of you have come from different parts of the world. Our relatives have come from different parts of the world. It's a setup. In the next while, there's going to be millions of Muslims swept in the kingdom of God. Millions of Hindus swept in the kingdom of God. And guess what? They will reach their nation immediately. And Canada will fulfill its destiny of taking healing to the nations. God can heal Canada. Have you read Second Chronicles? 714. He said, I'll heal any nation. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. That's a promise. That's a promise. And so we've, we've expected, I mean, the last election, God bless people. They really were looking for somebody to vote for that was going to legislate righteousness. You can't legislate righteousness. That's not the government's job. But I'm here to tell you something. He would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah for 10 righteous people. So when righteousness begins to happen in the house of God and we get in the right place with God, It'll change everything. Abortion will stop. The government will stop doing what they're doing. I mean, everything will stop. We've been trying to do it from that end. We've got to do it from here. And we've, we've let the government and the media define who we are. And tell us what our rights are. I believe we need to have the anointing that David had when he went to see his brothers fighting the Philistines, they weren't fighting. They were huddled in fear. They were intimidated. There's a spirit of intimidation that has gripped the church in Canada. Well, we got to be careful, you know. They had studied the giant so much that they knew everything about him. I said they become giantologists. I mean, they were, they were experts on the giant. 
and they spent all their time morning and night he intimidated them and so they're talking to God about how big the they're telling God how big the giant is and David comes along and he said there's something wrong with this picture because every morning and every night the devil the enemy Goliath defined who they were we are the great Philistines and you are the army of Saul and they said, oh, yeah, you're right. You're bigger, you're stronger. We don't have a chance, we're gonna die. And David runs out and he said, you are not gonna tell us who we are. First of all, I'll tell you who you are. You are not the great Philistines. Now this is a good Jewish boy. He said, you are a filthy, uncircumcised Philistine. That's about as nasty as you can get for a Jewish boy. And he said, we are not the army of Saul. We are the army of the living God. And I'm not going to waste my time talking to God about how big you are. I'm going to tell you how big my God is. It's time we start speaking to mountains. It's time we start speaking life. And believing that God will do what he says he can do. Now, Here's the thing. A lot of people say, well, maybe, maybe there was a time when we could have had revival and seen this happen, but it's too late now. It, it, it's too late. It, it's, it's, we've gone way past that. Well, I'd like to introduce you this morning to a man that if you told him this situation is hopeless and it's too late. He'd laugh at you. His name is Ezekiel. Can I just read it? It'd be good to read Bible this morning, wouldn't it? Ezekiel 37, the hand of the Lord came upon me, brought me in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. And then he said, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds. Oh, breathe and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath came into them and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. And he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore, prophesy to them. I love this. This is history. Like, this really happened. God takes Ezekiel in the spirit and says, what do you see? He said, I see a bunch of, a valley full of bones. He said, there are a lot of them. And then God said, I want to make sure you see how bad it is. So they went for a walk through the valley. He said, oh, they weren't just dead. They were really dry. They're really dry. And then God says, can they live again? Any normal person would have said, no. Of course they can't live again. Look at them. They have lived. They died. And now they're parched. No. Normal people don't change history. Read Hebrews 11, not one normal one amongst them 
When God asks a question, I, I understood this years ago. He's not looking for my wisdom. He already knows the answer. It's a setup. I love what Ezekiel said. Because a normal person would have said no. But he didn't say no, but he didn't say yes. He said, God, you know. You know the answer. I think that's a brilliant answer. Because, <laughs> I mean, sometimes you really battle with what you see. And, and, and what you believe. You know, the faith in the facts that you see in the natural. And so, God, you know. And then he said, prophesy. But he didn't just say prophesy. He said, I'm going to tell you what to prophesy. I'm going to give you the words. You prophesy exactly what I said. My concern in the last couple of years has been about the conversation on social media and in person by believers across this country. How they're speaking about Canada, how they're speaking about our leaders. This has nothing to do with politics. We are not mandated to curse. We are mandated to speak life and blessing. As I said, you know, with our present prime minister, um, I believe there's going to be a, a shift soon. I believe there already has been a shift, and we're going to see the results. But, uh, you know, I don't, I, don't discuss, I don't discuss politics with politicians. When I talk to him, I talk about his family, I talk about his kids, I talk about his wife, I talk about their marriage. Assure them we're praying for them. And we do. Doesn't mean we agree. Doesn't mean we're happy about things. But Christians have to be careful how they're talking about Canada right now. Because somebody has to speak life and blessing over this nation again. Enough of saying, well, look at this and look at that. You see, when Nehemiah came back and was rebuilding the wall, he inspires me because I mean, the nation was in a mess and everybody knew it. Nobody was saying, doing anything. I mean, they're probably waiting for God to do something, but God uses people. And, and when he heard about it, he said, I got to go. With the help of God, we can rebuild. We see this Jerusalem restored, see the temple restored, and it gets a group of people that believe what he believed and they start doing it. And then in chapter four of Nehemiah, they stopped and they said, we can't do it. We're tired. There's too much rubbish. Christians are tired right now. They're really tired because we're focusing in on the rubbish. You'll never move out in faith. Smith Wigglesworth said this. You'll never pray the prayer of faith if you're focusing in on the problem. That's why the devil is trying to do everything he can to get you. Look at this. Look at that. Look at this problem. Look at that problem. Look at what they're saying now. Look what they're doing now. We were in Florida when COVID hit and got the word from different sources. You got to get back right away. They're going to close the border. And nobody knew what that meant. And so we came back. And I discovered every day our prime minister would come out of his cottage and um, do a little talk. So I, I listened to it. I wanted to hear what was going on. And I discovered that wasn't helping me. And if I didn't figure it out, I figured out my wife was talking to him. He's on the television, but she's, I said, he can't hear you. It doesn't matter. <laughs> she's trying to help him. And <laughs> so you know what I did? I turned off the, I stopped watching it. I, I stopped watching him come out and give his whatever and um, put on worship music. And I lifted up my eyes under the hills. I knew where our help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. If God's big enough to make heaven and earth, he's big enough to do anything. So Nehemiah said, look it. We, we've, got, we've, got to, we've got to see this fixed here. 
Didn't give him a pep talk. He said, let's stop what we're doing. Come together. We're going to have a service. Christians are weary because we've allowed the devil to steal our joy. Well, how can you have joy when you're going through this? You, that's when you have to have joy. That's why Paul from prison says, you've got to rejoice. You'd rejoice and rejoice and again rejoice. <laughs> Somebody said, what do you think of this laughter in the church? I, I've been around crabby people in church. <laughs> and that's not nice. <laughs> My wife and I laugh every day. We, we, we have so much fun because, you know, it's a, it's a cute stage we're going through. <laughs> Two years ago, like, we're just with our great-grandkids, and they had these little Easter hunts, you know, egg hunts, and they found them. We hid our own Easter eggs two years ago. We still haven't found them. <laughs> And, and honestly, we, we, we tell the same joke every day. It, it's like it's brand new. It's like, <laughs> it's, my wife, I was on, traveling somewhere, and we're on the phone, and she, she said something that was really funny, and I, I, re, I really started laughing. She said, well, that's your joke. That's what you t-. I say, I know, but it's still really funny. You know? <laughs> but you know what it is? It's medicine. You feel really good when you laugh. So Nehemiah says, we're going to have a meeting. He said, it's not time to talk about the rubbish. It's not time for us to talk about all the stuff out there, all the garbage. We're magnifying the works of the enemy. And when people try to pull you into that, you need to pull yourself out of that. He said, it's time. I'll tell you what time it is. He said, it's time to remember our God, who is awesome and great. And it's time to fight for your families, for your children. And something rose up in them. I'm here to tell you, it's time for us to change. Like, if Nehemiah had stood there and talked about how dead and dry the bones were, nothing would have happened. But I believe he closed his eyes. And sometimes if you're going to move in faith, you have to close your eyes and close out everything else. Because the devil's saying, well, look at this, look at that. You close your eyes. And if you can see it, you can believe for it. You know, we, we've got 12 grandchildren. They're all grown up now. They're all getting married and having kids. All our, all our kids are grandparents. It's so much fun watching them. And, and if you're, I don't know, you're probably too young, but... Being a grandparent is wonderful, but being a great-grandparent is the best. Because when, listen, when you're a grandparent, they expect you to do stuff. Like, like seriously. We're going to drop the kids off for a few days. We're, we're going to... Yeah, change. Last time I changed one of the diapers was years ago, and I got a message later, it's upside down. <laughs> Well then, <laughs> well then. <laughs> so grandparents are, have a lot of expectation. But being a great-grandparent is so much fun. They don't want you to do anything. You're too old. <laughs> so our grandkids will call and say, Papa, uh, we want to come over. The kids want to see you because they, they want to have an ice cream party. And they know we've got all the stuff, you know, for ice cream party. So... <laughs> And, but they say, we're not going to stay too long. Don't want to tire you out. <laughs> say, okay, dear. That'll be fine. And they come over for a little visit, and then they leave. And, and, and being a great-grandparent, you don't have to be reasonable at all. We get them all sugared up and all this stuff. Up. <laughs> and then they go home, and we buy them the most impractical things. <laughs> I look for the noisiest things, the things that... <laughs> Yeah, nice white outfits for the, these little boys. <laughs> and they go home. <laughs> they go home. But again, you know, we got a couple of, most of our kids and grandkids are doing really well, but got a couple that are out there. They're not where they should be. But they will be. 
because the circle won't be broken. We're not leaving one behind. I had one grandson tell me last fall at a wedding of one of the family that I was doing, one of our other grandchildren, he said, you know, um, that he was having problems with his parents and his other grandparents because he said, I told him I was an atheist. And um, they stopped talking to me. Well, that's a wonderful way to win somebody over. <laughs> and so, so um, he said, but you need to know. Papa, you need to know I'm an atheist. So I reached out and gave him the biggest hug. And I said, you need to know something. You need to know two things. Number one, I love you. I love you so much. And number two, I don't believe you. And he smiled and he hugged me. <laughs> and I said, and you know, I'm praying for you. And I go, stop. He said, I know. And we got some great messages just a couple of weeks ago from him. He's coming. <laughs> so when I pray for them, I, I purposely am not friends with them on Facebook. Because somebody said, do you know what he's doing? No. That's right. But I know what he's going to do. Because yes, when I, I close my eyes, when I prophesy and decree over him, because you, you, what you have to understand, and I'm sure in this church you do, our words, our life. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. I mean, we've got to be careful how we speak about our children and about our marriage and about our finances and about our nation and about our leaders. You curse and you speak death and it's not going to fix anything. But when you close your eyes and you see them as they will be, then you feel something rise up and you've got faith to believe. So he closes his eyes and guess what? These dead, dry parts, bones, he hears a noise. And they're coming together. I mean, rattle. <laughs> bone upon bone. Ankle bone connected to the leg bone. <laughs> Uh, let me just tell you this. I'm going to close it real soon, but Brampton, good Baptist, well, Baptist boy. <laughs> I, I, I knew that there was a heaven and a hell, and I didn't want to go to hell. So I asked the people in my church, how do you know you're going to heaven? And they said, you can't know for sure. Just work hard in the church and hope for the best. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> That's good, preach. <laughs> well, I did. I volunteered for everything. Because the harder you work in the church, the better chance you've got. So I became, I'm just a young teenager. I became a Sunday school teacher of young boys. Oh my goodness, I took them fishing once. That's as close to hell as everyone to get. <laughs> Honestly. The fish hooks were everywhere except in the water. They were on other guys' ears or up in the... I came home that night and I said, God, surely I'm going to heaven now. But I had no hope and assurance. I, I, I um, was young people's president. And because, you know, I want to do more. I was on the board of junior deacons. I ushered in the services if they asked for a volunteer to do anything. I helped dig the hole for the first Baptist church sign on the lawn. It's still there. still there. Uh, in Brampton and, and, and you know just on and on and on still didn't know and uh, so here I am but now I'm, I went up to Kennedy Road Tabernacle and I found Jesus and I got so excited and our pastor then who was responsible for this he saw in me what I could never see in me mentored me, loved me helped me get into Bible school and um, just walked with me. He was, Ron Stevens was into Southern gospel music. Well, the music in our church was dead. Seriously, it was like funeral music. <laughs> well, now I go up there and they, I mean, they're clapping and they're waving and, and then Ron would bring these groups in. I'd never heard such great happy music. You could actually enjoy yourself in church, who knew? So, so I bought all the big 
long playing records, you know. And uh, so, but I'm still young people's president. I'm still, I'm still involved in the Baptist church. So we're having a, a, an event, the evening. I don't know what day of the week it was. It could have been Saturday, I don't know. So I went to the church and um, nobody was there. So I go down the basement, I'm getting set up for the event. So I'm the president, and, and so I, I have the record player on, and I put this, this album on, and my favorite song in the album was Them Bones, Them Bones, Them Dry Bones, Them Hear the Words, The Little Connect, and somebody said, do you sing? Well, I did once. I sang with this Southern Gospel group, and I, you know, if you can't sing good, sing loud. I had it, I had the thing cranked up as loud as it would go. I'm singing at the top of my voice and I'm getting set up. I don't know, time went on. I don't know what was going on. In the midst of this, because when we got finished that song, I take the, well, it's coming back now, so most of you understand. Take the arm and put it back at the beginning of that song and listen to it again. <laughs> no, no pressing buttons or nothing, you know. Or say, Siri, play it again, you know. <laughs> and... Um, so in the midst of this, we're connecting all the bones. And the dead bones are coming to life. A man rushes through the side door, dressed in a black suit, white shirt. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm singing with a group here. He said, we're having a funeral upstairs. <laughs> No, it's awful. It's awful. It, it. Can you imagine? Like there's a family sitting there, and the casket's there, and the soft music playing, and up through every vent in the floor comes dem bones, dem bones, dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. So um, that was. Um, That kind of ended everything. Uh, <laughs> the decision was made that I would fit in far better at that other church. <laughs> Best thing ever happened. <laughs> so every time I read this, I think, oh, God. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who the family was, and I don't want to know. And uh, <laughs> just Because the Bible says, you know, when you... Receive Holy Spirit, ask for wisdom. I didn't. <laughs> so, 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 so he prophesies and they come to life. The bones come upon bone, sinews, and then skin, and they stand up. They look like an army, but there was no breath in them. And that's about where we are right now in our nation. And then God said, you got to do one more thing. You just don't sit and wait you start prophesying to the wind. His name is Holy Spirit. Start calling Holy Spirit to come. Let me tell you, the same spirit that blew across the face of this earth and took that which was without form and void and darkness filled it and turned it into this beautiful planet same, the same wind that blew through the upper room and took a group of ordinary people and transformed them into people that would turn the world upside down. That same wind began to blow through the valley and those dead, lifeless things came to life. They started breathing and they started moving like a great army. And God said, this is Israel. This is what I'm going to do for Israel. If God could do that, what he's done for Israel, yes. Yes. one of the greatest miracles yes. in the history of the world, Amen. Sure. Israel is supernatural miracle. Yes. If you haven't been, you need to plan on going. Yes. There's no place on earth like it. I took, I took a pastor friend and uh, my son-in-law. Um, we started, we stayed up on top of the Mount of Beatitudes and that morning, Pastor Dom, who is chairman of our board, I look over and he's just sobbing. And I go over and say, are you okay? He said, Jesus just spoke to me. And I said, what did he say? He said, I just said, Jesus, you were right here. That's where he taught the, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and miracles happened. And he's, 
he said, I said, Jesus, you were right here. And she said, Jesus said, I'm here right here now. Right here now with you. And he's here right there. People are getting healed right now. People are getting healed. The anointing of God is just like a blanket in this place. Chronic conditions we command to go in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. So in that wind, the Holy Spirit blew. Everything changed. If God could do what he did and has done it for that valley, if he can do what he's done for Israel, then I'm here to tell you God can do what he's promised to do for Canada. This is Canada's time. It's not over. It's not over. In fact, the best is yet to come. Now's not a good time to give up. Now's not a good time to quit. Let me close with a scripture, Isaiah 60. It's ours. Arise, shine, for your light or your fire has come. Let the glory and the glory of God has risen on you. Darkness shall cover the earth, and it is. Deep darkness on the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen on you. If it's dark, it's our fault. We're the light. If it's unsavory, it's our fault. We're the salt. We can change it. With the help of God, we can change it. And I'm here to tell you today, Canada shall be saved. Tonight we'll be laying hands on people. Tonight we'll be having testimonies of healing. But right now, in Jesus' name, I just speak blessing over you. I speak life over you. And in Jesus' mighty name, I pray from the top of your head to the tips of your feet, every fiber of your being will be touched. I come against cancer. In Jesus' name, I come against pain. Arthritis, go. Somebody's hand's just being healed right now. Just move your hand. His fingers are not tight. They're not pain. They're, they're loose in Jesus' name. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. God never starts something he doesn't finish. Where's the person you know something's happening in your hand? You have arthritis in your hand, and you know something's changing. Just wave at me real quick, real quick. Thank you, thank you. I mean, move your hands right now, sir. Thank you. Doctors say arthritis can't be healed. Well, doctors are wrong. They forgot about Jesus. I speak blessing of God over you, over this house, over this ministry, and I prophesy over every one of you that your best days are not behind you. We serve a God of increase, who will take us from glory to glory. And in Jesus' name, I decree that this marks the beginning of a season of miracles. Every day, you get up and you say, this is my season for miracles. And you expect them. Miracles happen where they're expected. I speak blessing over this church and over the vision and dreams that provision will be there in every area. I see expansion, I see increase, I see buildings, I see impact. I speak blessing now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen, amen.